fascinating reading. It's a hard topic today. And so instead of, you know, a light and easy kind of story to kick things off, uh, I thought today we'd start heavy, uh, with a bit of a heavy question. And that is, uh, how are things between you and Satan? You know, what kind of relationship do you have with the devil? How are things between your family members and Satan? How are things between your friends and Satan or your neighbours and Satan or your workmates and Satan? It's not the sort of question, you know, that we... It's a bit jolting, is it? It's not the sort of question that we'd normally ask in polite conversation. You know, it's not the sort of thing that we'd like to even think about or hardly would never talk about. Um, it's more the sort of thing that's confi- confined to horror films, basically. You know, films like The Exorcist or Damien Omen or something like that. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Being in cohorts with the devil, being under the rule of Satan's actually the default position of the whole world, unfortunately. See, the Bible's clear that there are ultimately only two kingdoms, that everyone outside of the kingdom of God is in the kingdom of Satan, that this includes anyone who's in rebellion, even if unwittingly against the king of God's kingdom, and that there's only one way, one way to change kingdoms. Now, before we dig into this passage, I want to I give you a bit of context because I know a lot of people have questions about Satan and about demons. And while the Bible doesn't say very much about them, it does give us some clues. Clues to try to help us kind of piece together some of the answers, at least to some of our questions. Now, we're told in Scripture that God has always existed. At some point, though, God creates angelic or heavenly beings, spiritual beings, who it's, including Satan, uh, who it seems was initially good. Unfortunately, at some point, Satan rebels against God in prideful disobedience. Now, some see a description of this in Isaiah 14, 12 to 14, which says, How you have fallen from heaven. You've been cast down to the earth. You said in your heart, I'll raise my throne above the stars of God. I will make myself like the Most High. Now this and some other relevant passages may or may not actually uh, be referring to the fall of Satan. So we don't know for sure, but it seems Satan sinned by seeking to be like God and that God cast Satan out of heaven down to earth along with the angels who chose to follow Satan and so become demons under Satan's rule. Scripture also tells us uh, that God also created humans, okay, or earthly beings, us, who were initially very good. Uh, but as we know from Genesis 3, the first humans, Adam and Eve, they, they were tempted and deceived by Satan. Uh, they choose his lies over God's truth. Okay? They too choose to disobey God by seeking to be like God and in doing so they're, they're cast out of the Garden of Eden by God and they're enlisted by Satan into this epic cosmic battle and rebellion against God. And hasn't that been our story ever since? You know, as every single one of us has sought to be like God, has sought to rule... Life our own way, um, and in so doing, join the rebellion 
against God, under the rule and possession of Satan and his kingdom. And it's a rebellion that we see in this world in, in all kinds of ways. But not in um, projectile vomiting, and not in 360 degree head spinning. We see it in people's rejection of Jesus as king and in their preference for living in sin. That's how we see it. Now, that's a bit of context, okay? There is, there is two kingdoms, there is two rulers, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan, and each of us are in one kingdom or the other. And so let's dive into this passage and see what God's got to tell us here. Uh, it'd be great if you could open your Bibles. I'm just going to work through this passage and, uh, and do so under, under some headings, which, which will help for structure. So Luke 11, starting at verse 14. I'm not going to put very much on the screen, so please open your Bibles. Jesus was driving out a demon that was mute. Okay? Now, that's nothing new. Nothing new going on here because we've seen lots of miracles like this so far in Luke's Gospels. Miracles showing Jesus' power over demons. Unlike the previous ones, though, this is not a demon that causes the person to, you know, to scream out or to convulse and foam at the mouth or to break loose of chains or to live among the tombs or anything like that. This is a demon that just very quietly stops a man from speaking. And so at the sight of Jesus, he doesn't cry out. <laughs> he doesn't say anything. He's mute. But as usual, Jesus drives out the demon, okay, and verse 14 continues, when the demon left, the man who had been mute, mute, mute spoke. Okay, there's the miracle. Jesus drives out the demon and the mute person spoke. And it says the crowd was amazed. They were amazed, as they should have been. After all, this is one of the signs in Isaiah 35, that the Messiah, the king of God's kingdom, had come. Thing is, though, they're not all amazed. They're not all amazed. And in this passage, Luke actually narrows in on some very wrong reactions to Jesus' power. Okay? And also on Jesus' reply to those wrong reactions. And we're just going to look at each of those things in turn. Firstly, two wrong reactions. Look at verse 15. But some said to them, some said, some of them said, by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, he's driving out demons. Some said that. Others tested him by asking for a sign from heaven. I mean, as if Jesus hasn't already given enough miraculous signs. Now, today, as we're only going to the end of uh, verse 28, we're just going to zoom in on the first of these wrong reactions that some of them said, by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, he's driving out demons. Now, why would they say this? Why would they say this? Maybe they just don't want to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, you know, that Jesus is the King of God's kingdom. Maybe they just, maybe they just don't really want to be ruled by God's King. You know, maybe they want to continue ruling and running life their own way. Well, whatever their reason... Whatever their reason, you see, they cannot deny Jesus' power. And so what they try, they try to do is they just try to explain it away another way. 
they say he's working for Beelzebub, which is another name for Satan. Jesus knows their thoughts. It says Jesus knew their thoughts, though. And so let's have a look at Jesus' reply. Firstly, about two kingdoms. From verse 17, look with me. He said to them, Any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and a house divided against itself will fall. If Satan is divided against himself, how can his kingdom stand? I say this because you claim that I drive out demons by Beelzebub. That is, he's saying either Satan's kingdom is divided against itself, which is what they're saying, or verse 20 he says, if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come to you. So they're the options, he's saying, all right? But he doesn't leave them guessing because he then explains exactly what's going on with a parable, a parable about two rulers. Now look with me from verse 21. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his house, his possessions are safe. Okay, now who's this strong man that he's talking about? It's Satan. What's this house that he's guarding? It's his castle, it's his kingdom. What are his possessions? People. People, fellow rebels, you see, enslaved by sin. Now, you, see, you may not be possessed by demons. You may not be possessed by demons. But you see, if you're a rebel, if you are living independent of or you know, in opposition to God, then you are a possession of Satan. You see? You may not be possessed by demons, but you may be a possession of Satan. Because if that's the case, you're enslaved in Satan's kingdom under Satan's rule. And you know, if that's the case, there is nothing, nothing that you can do by your own power to set yourself free. Nothing you can do. And so you're in a desperate situation. And what you need desperately, more than anything else, is you need to be rescued from Satan's kingdom. You need to be released from Satan's rule. You need someone stronger than Satan to come and to set you free. And that is exactly what the next part of Jesus' little parable here is about from verse 22. He says, But when someone stronger attacks and overpowers the strong man, he takes away the armour in which the man trusted and he divides up the spoils. Okay, who's the... Who's the someone stronger in this story? The one who, takes, who attacks and overpowers this strong man and who takes away the strong man's possessions? Who's that? Clearly, it's none other than Jesus himself. It's Jesus who, who didn't just drop a bomb on this world, but who dropped personally into this world. Why? To invade and to enter Satan's kingdom and to attack and to overpower Satan himself to take away his possessions. How did Jesus do that? Well, initially he did it in kind of little battles, little skirmishes like the one we have here in Luke 11. But ultimately, ultimately, Jesus fought and won the war against Satan. Where? On the cross. Where the war was won so that rebels like you and me could be forgiven and set free. 1 John 3 says this, it says, The reason the Son of God appeared 
was to destroy the devil's work. Colossians 2 said, having disarmed the powers and authorities, meaning Satan and his demonic forces, Jesus made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. You see, although, although dying on a cross mightn't look to some like a victory, you know, although to some people it might look like a total defeat, Jesus' death on the cross and his triumphant resurrection from the dead, it actually disarms and it decisively defeats Satan's sin and death. That's what it does. And it actually frees us from being captives in, in Satan's kingdom to children in God's kingdom. You see, as Jesus makes very, very clear here, he says there are only two kingdoms with only two rulers, and he says there is no middle or neutral ground. You get that? No middle or neutral ground. In verse 23, what does he say? He says, he who is not with me is against me. He who does not gather with me scatters. In other words, you know what? You're either with Jesus in that you wholeheartedly trust and follow him as your saviour and your king, in which case you're in the kingdom of God, or you're not with Jesus. You don't truly trust and follow Jesus as your saviour and your king, in which case you're automatically against him. And you're automatically in the kingdom of Satan. And you know, I know how this sounds. I know exactly how this sounds. It's jarring, isn't it? It's jarring. Because I know how much our culture values grey. We value grey. Not black and white when it comes to spiritual things. I know how much our culture prides itself on tolerance and acceptance of, of lots of different positions, you know, as being equally okay. But not Jesus, you see, not Jesus, because Jesus says every human being takes one side or the other. It's that black and white. Kingdom of God or kingdom of Satan. And that brings us thirdly to Jesus' teaching here then on two ways to respond to the reality, the reality of these two kingdoms. Firstly, he tells us this little parable about how not to. For verse 24, let's have a look. He says, when an evil spirit comes out of a man, it goes through arid places seeking rest and doesn't find it. Then it says, I'll return to the house that I left. When it arrives, it finds the house swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes seven other spirits, even more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that man is worse than the first. Now you might be thinking, what is going on with that? You know, what's, that, what's all that about? Well, the point is this. You cannot free yourself from Satan's kingdom, from your enslavement to sin and its curse. You cannot free yourself. Okay, you can't do it by trying to clean up your own life, you know, by making resolutions or, or attending rehab or, you know, turning to... New Age spirituality or some other kind of human endeavour. 
Satan loves that stuff. He loves it when you turn to self-help. Because you see, when you do that, you are just opening the door to him even more. A little illustration, I guess, to help you think about this. Imagine you've got a squatter in your house who just doesn't want to leave. Um, But through your own efforts, though, you, you do have them removed. Then you do some renovating to clear up the mess. And then, you know, proud of yourself, you take a holiday and you leave your place clean but empty. Guess who's living in the place when you come back? Obviously the squatter. It was so, it's so easy, he just couldn't resist. The place is now cleaned up and he comes back, but this time he brings seven of his mates too. That's what this parable's getting at, you see. When it comes to, to your life, when it comes to my life, you know, when it comes to, to your, sl- your slavery to Satan and to sin, you don't just need to clean house a little bit. You can't just remove the enemy yourself. You can't. He's too strong. He's the strong man. You see, if you try to do it yourself, you'll only end up in a proud and in a worse and more cursed state than you were before. That's what this is getting at. What you need is you need someone stronger to overpower the enemy, to overpower the strong man, and then to take up residence to stop him coming back. What you need is you need Jesus. Jesus, who is the only one strong enough to free you and to defend you and to protect you from the stronghold of Satan. How? How does he do that? Well, by the stronger indwelling power of God's Holy Spirit. You see, friends, you, like me, we are born in the midst of a battle. And you know, whether you realise it and whether you think about it, it doesn't change it. The reality is, you and me were born in the midst of a battle. Your life, like mine, is a battlefield. God wants to to deliver you. Satan wants to destroy you. And so we all, all of us, like the mute guy in today's passage, we need Jesus, by his spirit, to touch us, to cleanse us, and to defend and protect us. That's what we need. But you see, for him to do that, you've got to decide whether you will allow him to free you out of Satan's kingdom and possession and into the kingdom of God. You need to decide whether you'll do that, whether you'll allow that, or or whether you'll try to clean yourself up, you know, only to lose and to, you know, be worse off and even more enslaved to Satan than you were before. But you've got to decide. You've got to make a decision. No black and white, no middle ground. Now, maybe, and I'm sure many of you here today already have made that decision. You know, maybe, maybe you're here and you're already a Christian, you're already a member of the kingdom of God, but maybe, maybe you're still struggling with some dark things in your life. You know? And maybe you're still unsure about whether you can defeat those things. 
I want to say very clearly, just in case you're still wondering, you cannot defeat them. But Jesus can. He's the stronger man, not you. But you see, you've got to listen. You've got to listen to God. And you've got to let God's Spirit lead you. And that brings us to Jesus' final point here on how to live in God's kingdom. From verse 27, look at the text again with me. As Jesus was saying these things, a woman in the crowd called out, Blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. He replied, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Now, this, this lady from the crowd's comment, I find it, I kind of find it amusing. Like, she's, it's so random. You know, it's like she hasn't been paying any attention whatsoever. Jesus has just performed this miracle, driving out a demon. Okay? Jesus has just given this really pointy sermon on how vital it is to be on his side and in his kingdom. And she's thinking about how blessed Mary is to have Jesus as a son. You know? And sure, sure, a lot of people thought, would have thought of Mary as blessed. Absolutely. You know, imagine when Mary went along to mother's group or play group or parent-teacher nights, you know? Pretty hard for people to critique Mary and her parenting style. Her son's perfect. But that aside, <laughs> this lady in the crowd has just missed the entire, the whole point of Jesus miracle and his teaching and I I dearly hope you guys don't leave here today missing the whole point that God's blessing it is available to anyone that being blessed by God and not cursed by sin that living in God's kingdom and not in the kingdom of Satan it has to do with not whether you're related to Jesus by birth it has to do with whether you hear the word of God, okay, in Scripture, and by the indwelling power of God's Holy Spirit, you obey it. That's, that's how to live in the kingdom of God. Will you do that? Let's pray. Our gracious and loving and merciful and kind Heavenly Father, we do want to thank you for this word to us today from Scripture. It is a hard passage, but it's one that we all need to hear. Father, please open our eyes to the reality of Satan in this world and in our lives. And please fill us with your Holy Spirit to convict us of sin, to fasten our faith in Jesus, to command Satan and demons away, and to make us more like Jesus as we hear your word and obey. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.